Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Candelo. Sometimes it's difficult to live in the mystery of Christmas, especially as a child and especially when it comes to presents, because we want to know. And as a child, I spent countless hours trying to figure out what was wrapped under the tree. And I'm sure you did as well. You go, you grab the gift, and first you judge the weight of it. You want to see what it weighs, knowing that the heavier it is, the probably the better it is. And then you shake it as if that does any good, but you shake it because that's going to help you figure it out. And then you count them because you want to make sure that you have at least as many as your siblings, preferably one more. Because you want to receive that perfect gift. When you're a child, you want to receive the perfect gift. When you get older, you want to give the perfect gift. And I get that as well. Or maybe you still want to receive. But I'm here to help you this morning. Typically, in years past, I've given you a gift-giving guide. Now, I know it's a little bit late in the season, so I have a few last-minute gift ideas as your family sits in the mystery wondering what they're going to get. Maybe it could be one of these things. First, we have this. Silly poopies hide and seek, which honestly isn't a bad game. You take the poop emoji, you hide it somewhere in the house, it makes noise, it plays music, it gives hints to where it is, and the children come and find it. What really, to me, sets this gift a little bit off is that I don't think this is a good precedent that we want to set for the children. (laughs) Take the poop, you hide the poop in the house, and someday somebody will find it. But for $15, maybe you can plant those seeds. Uh, Next, if you have somebody that maybe isn't on the nice list but is on the naughty list, this is the Albert clock. And for every minute of the day, it gives a new math equation for you to try and figure out what time it is. Some of you even now are like, I I don't know. I don't know what time it is. I don't even care. $400 to give this evil gift to someone. Next, we have a unicorn squirrel feeder. So you put the food up inside the unicorn head there, and the squirrel comes along and has to put its head up in there. It's mostly for photo ops so that you can be an Instagram star. It's $20. Uh, Next, we have what I didn't even know was a thing until I started looking. These are snail slime face wipes. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction, too. Apparently, it's really good for your complexion if you rub snail slime all over your face. Uh, This is $25, and you can feel good about it, I guess, until you just remember that it's just mucus that you're putting. I know, exactly. That's a little bit gross. Um, Next, we know that there's a lot of action heroes that kids want. There's Marvel, there's Star Wars, but it's about time that we started finding the real action heroes. So this is the mega plumber action hero with Ultimate Weapon Champion 4. I don't even know what that means, but it seems pretty amazing. You really want this action hero. You don't want Iron Man when your plumbing breaks. You want this guy. I actually looked to see if there were mega action pastor heroes. There weren't any. (laughs) So maybe you guys could create those. Um, Here's a very festive use for face masks. This is a face mask nativity scene that you can get on Etsy. I just thought it was a very clever and creative idea. Two more gifts. 
This, these are a little bit more on the expensive end if you really want to splurge. The first one is this. It's a human-powered car. Now, we know that human-powered cars have existed for a long time because we've all seen the Flintstones, but this is kind of a different setup here. Four people sit in there, and it's like rowing machines that each person does, and it can go up to 60 miles an hour, which seems like a ridiculous speed considering the amount of safety features that it lacks. <laughs> but if you get one, I would love to try it with you. For a mere $60,000, come on, we should do this. Lastly. I have a gift that I would love for the entire church, something that we could all share joyfully in. It's a whack-a-mole game. And we all love whack-a-mole, but this is not your ordinary whack-a-mole game. It's a customizable one. You can personalize it. So instead of moles that pop out, you get to choose. And we all know what the obvious choice is. <laughs> I think we even have a closer look. There you go. I just envision the long line of people in the lobby waiting their turn to just get that mallet and work out a little aggression. Um, we'll have to take turns. So what we're going to do is we're going to take an offering this morning <laughs> so that we can get this whack-a-mole. $35,000. We're not going to do that. We're continuing on in our Christmas series, Upside Down Christmas. And a couple weeks ago, Rob talked to us about the season of hurry and our need for efficiency and how Advent calls us to wait. Last week, Steve talked about how we love easy, but following Jesus is sometimes difficult. And this week, we're going to talk about reason and revelation. And both are very important, but mostly our culture values reason over revelation. We value what we can see and understand and rationalize because it's difficult to live in the mystery. It's difficult to live in a promise yet fulfilled. And so we want to lean in on revelation. So if there's a big idea from today's message, it's just this, that the kingdom mindset prioritizes revelation over reason. If we want to be kingdom-minded people, we want to prioritize revelation over reason. And that's why this is somewhat upside down in the way we live. Now, reason, we understand, reason is a gift given to us by God, and it's how we construct knowledge and truth through what we observe and experience. Reason is what makes sense to us, things that we can Google. Revelation, on the other hand, is the supernatural disclosure of truth that we couldn't discover otherwise. It's how God reveals his purpose and his character and his will to us so that we can enter into relationship with him. That's what revelation is. And you can't always Google it. There's no two-step verification process that we can walk through. Oftentimes, revelation is mysterious. It's rooted in the now, but it's often rooted in the not yet. It's rooted in promise. And so we have revelation. We have revelation in the form of the scriptures, in the form of dreams and prophecies. Roman, Romans 1 says nature reveals who God is. And those things still exist. God is still doing words and pictures and dreams and nudges from Holy Spirit. Revelation. Now, as we go forward, I don't want us to think that revelation and reason are opposites. They're not diametrically opposed. They're not mutually exclusive. And it's not that, re that reason is always inaccurate. It's just that it's oftentimes incomplete. 
And so I want to give us a framework to look at reason and revelation. And I think there's a framework that most of culture leans into. And then there's an upside down framework that I think we as kingdom-minded people need to lean into as well. And it's called the three horizons. We're going to look at this through the perspective of horizons. And the closest horizon is the one that we would value most. And as the horizons diminish, they also diminish in influence. And so I believe culturally, we begin with reason. We begin with the things that make sense, the things that we can figure out, the things that we can experience. And that's how we process life and how we process truth. And to reason then, we add faith. Because we know without faith, it's impossible to please God. But our faith is resting on reason, which means our faith doesn't go very deep because it doesn't need to go deep. And then way off in the distance, we have revelation. We have the mysteries of God. And when we take this approach, we encounter very few mysteries of God, very little beyond the ordinary. We have very few encounters with the miraculous God when we lead with reason, but we live in a culture that holds reason up as the preeminent value, right? We assume that reason is going to allow us to make sense of this world, that reason somehow our golden ticket to peace and prosperity and unity and safety and security. Reason is going to give us the answers that somewhere within us is this unlimited intellectual ability to figure it all out. How's that working for us? Not so great. Because when we prioritize reason over revelation, issues arise. You see, we think reason is going to allow us to have all of the answers, but reason creates more questions than it answers. The more we dig into a subject, the more we discover we don't know. The more science solves problems, the more it approaches mystery. And for every mystery solved, a hundred more rise to take its place. Another reason we can't prioritize reason over revelation is oftentimes reason tries to turn revelation into superstition. Reason tries to turn revelation into superstition. It's, It's Thomas Jefferson creating his own Bible. Thomas Jefferson famously took a scalpel to the scriptures and he removed all of the miraculous. He carefully cut out everything in scripture that was supernatural. Now, he left some good moral teachings of Jesus, but he removed all of the transcendent. Anything that did not submit to his reasoning was removed. And that's where we end up if we end up with this horizon here. We end up like Jefferson. There's a whole lot of scripture that we don't understand, and so we want to carefully remove it from our lives because it it doesn't make sense to us. And we have very few encounters with the miraculous God. But the kingdom mindset prioritizes revelation over reason. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that says we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we want to go upside down on these horizons. We want to lead with revelation. God, what have you revealed to us? God, what are you saying to us even now? And then we add faith to it. Our faith that is deeper, a faith that is shaped by revelation, and then reason. Wow, God, these things are beginning to make sense to me now. See, now we'll have moments that stretch and grow us. Now we'll have moments that stretch and grow the kingdom of God. And we say things like, oh, that's why God said that, or that's why it's happening this way. You see, revelation allows us to reason well. 
Revelation allows us to order truth correctly. Too often, we want to ground God in reason rather than reason in God. Forgetting that that reason is God's servant, it's not his master. And only God lives in full comprehension. We live in apprehension. Romans chapter 11 says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions in his ways. You see, we need God's revelation. We need God's revelation to make sense of things. We need it to process life. We need it to reason well. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the Christmas story, the Christmas story that we're so familiar with. But we're going to take a look at it through this framework of revelation rather than reason. Because there's so many things in this story that don't make sense. We see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, and the shepherds, and the magi, and going to Nazareth, and not beginning this whole thing in Rome, and the idea of God becoming a baby, the infinite infant. And the story of Mary and Joseph. The story of Mary is told in the book of Luke, the story of Joseph in the book of Matthew. So we'll start with Mary here. Luke 1, 26 says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And Mary, I love this part. Mary's confused and disturbed right now. She hasn't even gotten the big news yet. It's still coming. And here we have revelation barging into what we assume was Mary's reasonable life. The angel says, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. And Mary goes and she gets her biology textbook off the shelf. And she says, hey, this is what I learned in class. It doesn't work that way. How could this be? And I think the confusion and the disturbed is amplifying in her life just a little bit. And the angel says, no, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And imagine Mary sitting in this moment. You're visited by an angel. You receive news that's never happened in the history of the world. Revelation has just barged into your world. And are you going to lead with reason? Or are you going to trust revelation? And she says this in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Absolutely amazing. The next scene we see in her story is she visits Elizabeth, shares the news with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says this in verse 45, you are blessed because you believed the Lord would do what he said. I love that. You're blessed because you believed in this revelation. And, you know, countless times through scripture, God appears to people, great men of scripture, Gideon, Moses, Jeremiah. Jonah, Zechariah, with opportunities to serve and to lead, and every one of these men made excuses. (laughs) Every one of them were like, ah, that's just not reasonable. That doesn't make sense. Then God comes to a teenage girl with the biggest news in the history of the universe, and she's like, may it be? Bring it on. One author and poet puts it this way. This is the irrational season. When love blooms bright and wild, had Mary been filled with reason, 
there'd have been no room for the child. It's irrational. And if she would have been filled with reason, what would have been different about this story? The same is true with Joseph. I, I'm always drawn to the story of Joseph. And I don't know if it's because we know so little about him. I would love to learn more about Joseph. Joseph has no lines in this play. There are no recorded words of Joseph in scripture. And as a matter of fact, he's not even mentioned after chapter 2 of Matthew and Luke. But what we have written about Joseph is entirely dependent upon his response to the revelation of God. You see, we have this record because of his righteousness and faith and trust and obedience. And we know that he was engaged to Mary, as we heard in Luke chapter 1. And then she was pregnant. And Steve talked about this a little bit last week. And he got the text message. And Mary said, we have to talk. And we know no good relationship conversation begins with, we have to talk. And so there was this moment. And of course, he didn't believe her. So reason said, get divorced. As a matter of fact, the culture that he lived in said, get divorced as well. Divorce wasn't optional for Joseph if he wanted to live a righteous life in that culture. It was mandatory. If he married Mary, he would have taken on her impurity. He would no longer be able to worship as the, at the temple as long as he was with her. So he wanted to uphold the law, and he wanted to respect Mary. And so he wanted to do the reasonable thing which was get divorced. And so then into this narrative, an angel comes and says, your wife is right. Right. I just wanted to pause there for just a minute. Maybe we could just close in prayer for some people in the room. <laughs> There's one lesson we learned today. Your wife is right. Verse 20 of Matthew 1, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. The angel comes. And at any point of this story, I think the narrative could have changed somewhat if Joseph would have led with reason. But we see he embraces revelation. He's told, do not be afraid. And it's, it's deeper than just do not be afraid. Angels are saying, do not be afraid all the time. And so it's not just that he's standing before this supernatural being. It's do not be afraid because there's going to be consequences. When you prioritize revelation, there's going to be some consequences. For Joseph, it was staying faithful to Mary meant a stigma that he would carry. There would be rumors. There would be shots to his reputation. Nobody would understand the story. And I don't know if he just stopped telling the story after a while and he just kept quiet. But that was part of it. Not to mention what it meant to be father to God's son. You see, I think there would have been this initial moment, okay, an angel visited me, and I'm going to stay with Mary. And then just these moments of dawning comprehension when he began to process what this means. I, in some way, will father the father's son. I mean, can you think about what Joseph is thinking in these moments? He's going to wreck the curve for the rest of my children. I'm going to say things like, why can't you be more like Jesus? Or him thinking, will I ever have to discipline him? Because I don't think I can do that. And will I have to teach him anything? This is where it says in Genesis how you created the world. 
And when he prays, is he going to pray, dear me? And will he help me in the shop? And, and that's, that's God who lives in the back room of my house. None of this makes sense. You can't reason any of this. But Joseph embraced revelation and allowed reason to obediently follow. And this begins a pattern of trust and obedience in his life. And we see in chapter 2, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt. It gets tougher, another dream. Another angel, another revelation. And here we have a midnight escape and travel with a newborn in a strange country in a strange language. And where am I going to live? And what am I going to do for a living? And where am I going to go to church? And what about holidays? And what about my family? And all of a sudden, Joseph and Mary and Jesus are refugees. And in Egypt of all places. Egypt is where you get delivered from. You don't go to Egypt. You flee from Egypt. And here he is. And this is what I love about Joseph is it just doesn't make reasonable sense, but he's obeying. And I think there was confirmation along the way. And when he got the text message news alert about what Herod did in the town of Bethlehem and the heartache it caused, but also, OK, God, you're leading me. You're guiding me. It doesn't make sense, but we're doing this thing. Verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, which I just get this picture of every time Joseph goes to sleep. He's like, oh boy, here we go. What's going to happen tonight? Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And that's what he does. Another angel, another, another dream, and he comes back. But Herod's son is still ruling, and so this could be trouble. And so then another dream, and another angel shows up and tells him to go to Nazareth, out in the middle of nowhere. The most influential person in the history of the world grew up in the middle of nowhere. When Philip comes to Nathaniel in John chapter 1 with news of the Messiah, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? One Bible Dictionary says that all the inhabitants of Galilee and Nazareth were looked upon with contempt by the people of Judea because they spoke a ruder dialect, were less cultivated. They were more exposed by their position to contact with the heathen. Nazareth, that was, that was those people. But here we have Joseph getting the revelation, not trying to reason it all out in these moments. He has dreams. And his trust is building. And none of it made earthly sense. And this is just what we have recorded. I can't imagine what other stories happened in their lives to continue to lead them on as they continued to learn about this. Mary and Joseph were living it out. Obey first. Figure the rest out later. Trust in the revelation first and allow the reason to follow. This is what it means to be a cloud follower when it doesn't make reasonable sense, but it makes revelation sense. And so how do we do this? How can we lean in? How can we live upside down instead of always leading with reason? How can we embrace revelation? I want to give just two quick handles. The first is this, trust. And it seems like a pretty vague handle, admittedly. Yep, just go out and trust more. But I think we need to continue to ask ourselves this question. Do I trust God to be God? 
When we encounter situations, when we are faced with revelation, do I trust God to be God or do I have to figure it out? Do I have to be able to wrap my arms around it before I'm going to step forward in obedience? Do I have to have reasonable sense that this is going to work out or do I trust God to be God? Because things, always, things don't always make sense. As followers of Jesus, the Bible says we see unseen things. We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving. We're made great by becoming little. We're free by being slaves. We're alive through one who died, justified by one who was condemned, gain our lives by losing them, become first by being last, become wise by being fools. And none of this makes reasonable sense. And we're always going to be tempted to follow reason rather than revelation. Reason says, get mine. Revelation says, deny yourself. Reason says, I deserve this. Revelation says, be thankful you don't always get what you deserve. Reason says, I can do this. Nobody will know. Revelation says, God will know. We need to trust God to be God. We need to trust the revelation of God. And I understand that, admittedly, there's a bunch of mystery surrounding Scripture. There's a bunch of mystery in our lives that can lead us to a dark place, to a negative space theologically. I was reading Augustine a few weeks ago, and, and he talked about how the mystery is positive, how it's actually a reason to worship, a cause for amazement and wonder and admiration. And he writes this, at the limits of our understanding... And the unsurpassed wisdom of our creator, trust turns into wonder. Knowledge terminates in adoration. And our confession becomes a song of praise and thanksgiving. When we trust God to be God, our trust, it turns into wonder and our knowledge to adoration. And then our confession becomes thanksgiving. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I trust you to be God. And secondly, I would just say this, take the next step. Take the next step towards receiving revelation. I've been trying to process this over the last couple of weeks. How do we prioritize revelation? How do we lead with revelation? And I know so many of us are in so many different places when it comes to this, but I think we need to be people taking steps towards receiving revelation. And so I have a bunch of different steps, and maybe one of these will resonate with you. First, I would say this, continue to spend time in God's word. We have access to this revelation. And if I'm honest, much of what Holy Spirit speaks to me in my life is from what I know of Scripture. Constant reminders of what has been revealed. Scripture's coming to mind as I'm in a situation where Holy Spirit speaks to me. And so the more time I spend in Scripture, the more I understand what that revelation is. And maybe that's a great step. Maybe that's a next step for you. Maybe a next step is being more attuned and then taking a step of obedience. Because oftentimes, Holy Spirit nudges us with an impulse to act. And sometimes you get those impulses to act, and you know that this is not coming from the human you, that it has to be coming from somewhere else. To serve, to send a text, to pray a prayer, to have a conversation, to give something away, to walk the extra mile. And you know it doesn't make reasonable sense. And it may never make reasonable sense. We can't wait for it to make reasonable sense. When we get that nudge, we act upon it. Maybe that's the next step. Because when you act upon these things, oftentimes they get confirmed. Oh, OK. That's why that happened. And so a next step maybe is taking an action step, stepping out, 
Maybe a next step is paying attention to words and pictures and even dreams. There's a lot of dreams in this story. Several years ago, a really good friend of mine lost his keys. And so we called some friends and he said, would you pray that I find these keys? It's a major hassle and I don't want to pay for a new fob. So I'm just asking some people to pray. So we said, sure, great. And I think the next night, right in that space between sleeping and waking, I had a very vivid dream, just a very quick, clear picture that the keys were in the back of the couch. And so I told my wife the next morning, hey, I had this weird dream that the keys were in the back of the couch. And she said, well, are you going to call him? And I said, no, I'm not going to call him. It was a dream. If I shared my dreams with everybody, I'd live a very strange existence. And she's like, I think you should call him. No, I'm not going to call him. The next day, my wife calls and says, hey, Brian has something he wants to tell you. <laughs> I was like, OK. I said, I had this dream that your keys were in the back of the couch. And he said, I pulled the cushions off the couch. I searched there. But I'll look again because you had a dream. And he reaches his hands in the back of the couch, and he pulls out the keys. And then he quotes Joel 2.28 to me that says, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. To which I said, well, I'm sorry I shared it with you. <laughs> I was glad he found his keys. But, but the real impact of the story was, wait a second. God spoke to me in a dream, like me. And I began to process what that was. And I began to understand, OK, that's what your voice sounds like, God. And it's happened a couple other times since then, not often. In those moments, and more and more, I understand, OK, this is God speaking to me. This is a next step to understanding his revelation. Now, there are guardrails for this. One of the guardrails is the word of God. God's not going to speak something to you that goes against his word. And we always need to keep the guardrail of the word. And I think the other guardrail we need to be mindful of when we're taking these steps is we want to live in community. We want to share these things in community. We want to have the, the construct of godly people who will keep us in check when we either have a great idea or, hey, this is what I heard. And they're like, I don't think that's wise. You want to have those guardrails in your life. But maybe that step is, OK, I'm going to be more attuned to these pictures that I'm seeing and these dreams that I'm having. And I think one step that we can all take is just a simple prayer found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And it's just this, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God, we want to receive your revelation. So speak. We're listening. Imagine Joseph and Mary when the kids are just hitting their teenage years and they're sitting back and they're reflecting on the story that we know so well. And they're reflecting on, oh, man, that didn't make any sense. Remember when we did that? Remember when we did that? Do you think? They ever regretted the choice to embrace revelation over reason? Now, I think they had moments. Let's be honest. We're all human. They had moments where they probably wrestled in these situations. But I'm confident. I'm confident that they were grateful, that they trusted, and they took the next step. Trust and taking the next step. And how do we want to look back on our lives? How do we want to look back on these situations? Do we always want to be people who, yep, that made perfect, reasonable sense, and it made sense before I acted? Or no, God, I just trust in your revelation, and I want to hear 
from you and be guided by you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we get to dive into a familiar story again. I thank you for what it speaks to us. I pray that you would help us to live upside down. I pray that we would prioritize revelation over reason. God, that our trust in you would grow. And God, we humbly, as a church body this morning, speak this prayer that we are listening. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening this morning. Would you continue to reveal yourself to us? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.